Thank you. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors, and I just want to welcome all of you. So glad that you're part of church. It's been a, an amazing uh, first 15, 20 minutes already. I want to welcome not only those of you in this room, but next door in venue or tuning in on Facebook Live. Welcome all of you. We're so glad you're here. I want to begin this morning by giving you yet another 2020 update. Right now, our focus is on constructing a college outreach center and coffee house. And this past week, uh, we trenched through the parking lot and laid in all of the utility lines and stuff like that. It was amazing how much work was accomplished. You think it would take me like a lifetime to dig a trench like that. And these guys just in a week, it was incredible. And uh, so we're just so excited. We're grateful for all the construction workers who are doing such excellent work. In fact, let's just thank and encourage uh, the folks at Bogard and uh, Durden Engineering this past week. It's delightful to work with, so skilled and competent and and diligent, we're just grateful for them. Pray for their safety. And also, if this is all new to you, you're like, what, what? I, know, I don't know anything about this. Well, you can go to, there's a display out in the lobby that looks like what you're seeing on screen right now, 2020 Vision, talks about this current project and all the other things around it because it's, it's, it's bigger than just this building. And then also you can go to our website and click on the same banner and get the same information. Maybe you'd like to partner with us in this outreach. You know, there's 14,000 people right next door at Cabrillo. In addition to our broader community, we want to send a message of welcome and love and hospitality and have the opportunity hopefully to share the love and grace and gospel of Jesus Christ along the way. So that's what we're doing and we'd love to have more people partnering with us. Well, can you believe that Thanksgiving is less than two weeks away? How did that happen? I don't know, but in light of all of this, uh, Renee and I are uh, doing a little two-part series entitled, are you ready? Wait for it. <laughs> Thanksgiving! I know, it's amazing, the creativity that just comes out of our minds here. <laughs> it's all about living a life of gratitude and generosity. Let me begin by asking you this. What if I, were to, what if I told you that there was one thing that you could do that would have this effect. It would make you more hopeful and healthier, improve your sleep quality, increase self-esteem, increase helpfulness and empathy, increase mental and emotional resilience. Would you be interested in knowing what that one thing is? Well, those are all just five of the many scientific benefits of gratitude, according to this recent article in Newsweek magazine. And it's amazing. The article cites all sorts of contemporary research going on. In fact, that fifth benefit about having a mental emotional resiliency in that study, they, they looked at Vietnam War veterans and the ones that had higher levels of gratitude consistently had lower levels of post-traumatic stress disorder. Consistently. One of the researchers they talk about in the article is a professor at UC Davis named Robert A. Emmons. He is uh, perhaps the leading researcher in this field in the entire world. And uh, in fact, he wrote a book that I read this week called Gratitude Works. It's an excellent book, worth reading. But let me just share with you some of the statistics that he uh, lays out in this book. First of all, people who just keep a gratitude journal, just writing down a couple things each week that you are grateful for, get this, they are 25% happier. They sleep 30 minutes more 
per evening. Some of you are going to get a head start on that right now during this sermon. <laughs> and I'm just going to tell myself, you're not bored, you're grateful. So there we go. <laughs> These very same people, they exercise 33% more. They experience up to a 10% drop in their blood pressure and a decrease in dietary fat intake by up to 20% because they practice gratitude. It is stunning. And these are just the personal benefits, not to mention the relational and broader benefits to our society when people are practicing gratitude. And the good news is this. This is something you can do. This is something that every single one of us can do. Now, you may be thinking, well, Mark, this is something that I would like to be able to do. But right now, <laughs> it's just not possible. It's not conceivable because I just had one loss after the other, one heartbreak after the other. Maybe someday I will be able to, to experience gratitude, but there's just no way that I could do that right now. And if that's you, I just want to humbly and respectfully say that gratitude is still your best refuge. Let me be clear. When we talk about gratitude, we're not talking about happiness per se. We're not talking about denying feelings of sadness or anger or grief or trauma. What we're talking about is the biblical idea that we can give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. There's things in your life and my life, I'm not thankful for those things, but I can be thankful in any particular time of life. There are still things that I can be grateful for. I'll give you a very powerful example. You've probably heard of a man named Elie Wiesel. Elie Wiesel su survived two concentration camps, Auschwitz and Buchenwald. In fact, here's a picture of Elie Wiesel. This is just moments after he was liberated, along with these fellow uh, Jewish concentra concentration camp victims. When that photo was taken, Elie Wiesel had lost his entire family by the time that was taken. And yet one thing that Elie Wiesel famously would say in the years following is the one, the thing that the Nazis could not take from him, even in the concentration camps, was his power to choose his attitude. And in particular, an attitude of gratitude. Many years later, he would say this in an interview. He says, a person can almost be defined by his or, her, his or her attitude toward gratitude. So the question is, how will you, how will I be defined? By our gratitude or our lack thereof? Now, I'm pretty sure we all want to be grateful people. It's the how, right? How do I get from the want to to the actual? 
And so I want to take you to a passage in Scripture today with the confidence that God's Word and Spirit can not only inform us, but actually transform us. And that Scripture is Psalm 103. You might want to turn to it if you have a Bible or look it up on your phone. It's also the first five verses, which is all we're really going to look at today. They're listed in your notes, which, by the way, are very extensive today. You might have noticed that. Those of you who you're not really into little fill-in-the-blank type outlines, you can be grateful for today's notes. <laughs> and those of you who really like the, the fill-in-the-blanks because it helps you, you, know, you pay attention, you can be grateful because they'll be back next week. So here we are. We're, we're off to a great start. We're all grateful for something today, and I think it's going to build. Psalm 103 is attributed to David... But we have no idea when he wrote it in his life. We have no idea what his circumstances are. Uh, most scholars think he wrote this later in life, reflecting on his past. But we really don't know, and it really doesn't matter. Because, again, the point is, we can practice gratitude regardless of our circumstances. And please follow along as I begin at verse 1, Psalm 103 where David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Now, let's just pause there for a moment. What does it mean to bless the Lord? I mean, how do we bless the God of the universe? I thought he's like the blessor, we're the blessees, right? How do you bless God? We bless the Lord by praising God, by expressing His goodness, His grace, His, His greatness and glory. That's how we bless the Lord. And in the next three verses, David's going to, to focus in particular on God's goodness and His grace. But I want us to notice something here in verses 1 and 2, because there's something David there's something that he does here that, that we all need to do if we are ever going to practice gratitude. And you'll notice that David doesn't begin with a prayer. He doesn't re begin with a request. In fact, he doesn't request anything of God in this entire psalm. He begins by calling himself to praise. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me, and every fiber of my being Bless his holy name because David knows he's not going to just stumble into gratitude. You know, it's, it's, he has to summon himself. He, he literally commands himself, commands himself to praise, to bless the Lord, which demonstrates the first thing about gratitude. If you want to write down some notes, the first thing I would recommend to you is this. Number one, Gratitude is a choice. It is a conscious choice. Like I said, he commands himself. The verb bless there is an imperative. He's like, you bless, oh my soul. And if you've been with us for the past two months as we've been in this series, Chasing David, uh, you know that if indeed David was writing this in the latter part of his life, I mean, he could look back at all the disasters all his regrets, and he could just stew in misery over those things. And there are some psalms where he does express 
uh, just all of his feel, feelings. He just kind of pours out his guts. And yet David has a way of, of circling around. You'll notice this in so many of his psalms where, yeah, he's very honest in about what's going, on, what's going on in his life. And yet he circles around to God's goodness and God's provision and God's grace. He chooses, in other words, gratitude. Now, it raises an interesting question because is it possible that, you know, David was just kind of... A, born an optimist like you know he it was easy for him to choose that because that's just the way he was wired in his temperament and in Emmons book gratitude works he actually addresses this objection because some will say well I have personality traits or you know my my, my just kind of genetically the, the the genes I was given are just naturally slanted in the other direction and so is that a factor when it comes to gratitude well again they studied this and uh uh, I want to do a little study here just to see if, if this bears out. Let, let's just say, let me ask you this. Raise your hand if you are kind of a natural optimist. Like you just, you, you see the positive. You see that the, the glass is half full. It's okay, church. You can confess this. Now, there's a few of us. We need to inform our face of all the positivity inside. But for the most part, I'm seeing it. You're like, yeah, this, I'm, that's me. You know, it's, you're happy to answer that question. How about the rest of us? Maybe you see a little bit more of the negative, the glass a little more half empty. It's okay. You, it's, you're a realist. Okay, raise your hand. It's church. It's good for you. It's all right. We're not going to take a picture. See, right, even right now, you're just like, man, this whole exercise is a bummer. Why did he make us do that, right? <laughs> well, I'm going to save you the price of the book because what the research says is that while personality traits or personality type have some influence, it's not a significant influence. Bottom line is we all have the power to choose. In fact, we must choose because Emmons and others go on to say that our brains are actually wired to notice negative things more readily than positive things. That's why the, the evening news follows the same script night after night, right? If it, if it bleeds, it leads. That's what we notice. In fact, a neuroscientist named Rick Hansen explains it this way. He says, our minds are Velcro for negative information, but Teflon for positive. That's a great way of putting it. You know, the negative stuff, it just sticks. Which means we, have, we all have this built-in bias in our brain to remember the bad and forget the good. But as David brings to mind who God is, bless the Lord of my soul, bless his holy name, my God is holy and perfect and wondrous. As he, he starts to think about who God is, his mind naturally turns to what God has done for him. And in verse 2, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. And this is huge because the second thing we, we could say about gratitude is that gratitude is remembering. It's remembering God's many gifts and benefits. And when we do this in the process, watch this, we go from taking things for granted and we begin to see them as granted, as gifts, as given to us by the Lord. And think about it. Does it take any effort to be ungrateful? Does it take any effort to be 
forgetful of the good things or, or even to, to, to fall into self-pity? Does that take any effort? No, not at all. But do you want to be defined by those things? I don't think so. Fascinating. There's a book in the Old Testament called Lamentations. You might be familiar with it. It was written by the prophet Jeremiah during a really bad time in Israel's history. And so it comes by its name, honestly, Lamentations. I mean, he does not hold anything back. Chapter 3, starting at verse 19, Jeremiah says, I remember my affliction and my wandering. The bitterness and the gall, it's like he can taste it on his tongue. I remember them and my soul is downcast within me. And if you read this book, he actually runs through the Hebrew alphabet, chapter after chapter. Like, you know, A is for agony and B is for bitter, you know, and C is for confused. I mean, he literally does this. In fact, in chapter 3, he does it three times in every verse. I mean, it's just like a... A, and like this amazing lament, everything that's wrong going on in his life, in the life of his countrymen. But watch this shift. So by the way, there's nothing Pollyanna about this. He's not denying his feelings in any shape or form. But again, starting at verse 21. Yet this I call to mind. In other words, I remember this. And therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions. Never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I will remember that in the midst of even my misery, he says. So let me ask you, what can you call to mind this morning? What can you remember about God's goodness Perhaps his love, love that none of us deserve, love that we could never earn. Or how about his compassion, that he's mindful of our weakness. And later in this, this psalm, he'll say, he knows that we're, we're just like dust. You know, he, his expectations for us are unrealistic. <laughs> he knows our stuff. How about just getting on a very basic level? How about clean water? We'll be grateful for that. Clothing, shelter, food. As we heard earlier today, one in four kids, insecure, anxious about having enough food. How about having food in your refrigerator right now? How about having a refrigerator? In this last power outage, our refrigerator was damaged beyond repair. And so yesterday, three weeks later, our new fridge finally arrived. It was such a glorious moment. I was like, I just, I wanted to hug it and kiss it and name it like a child. It's like, welcome to our home, my precious. <laughs> But hey, David says, forget none of his benefits, right? It starts when I choose gratitude, and it involves remembering God's goodness and his grace. And third, gratitude is specific. Okay, gratitude isn't just this vague sentiment. 
Like everyone, everyone ever have someone say to you, hey, you know, thanks for being alive. Okay, you're welcome. Thanks for being you. There's no punch to that. Watch how David lays out five very specific benefits here in these next three verses. Because he says, I will bless God because he is the one who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. I mean, wow. Let's just review those five benefits for a moment. First of all, he says God pardons all your iniquities. Now, let me ask you, where would we be if that wasn't true? Where would we be without God's pardon? I mean, what if God had looked down on this planet and said, you know what? You made the mess. You fix it. You clean it up. Can, can you even imagine that? Can you imagine a world in which Jesus does not enter into? That there is no Christmas? That there is no cross? That there is no redemption, there is no pardon, there is no hope. I mean, what an immeasurable blessing to know that God in Christ has pardoned all of our iniquities. And not just some, all. And perhaps God brought you here today for no other reason for than, for, than for you to hear this. All means all. All. That thing that, that you, you, you think of from time to time, maybe you think about it daily, maybe you're thinking about it right now, something in your past where, man, you really blew it, you did something that just fills you with shame and self-loathing, and you failed as either a parent or a child or a friend or a human being, and I want to remind you that all means all. That, that, that thought may dog you, it may haunt you, but it does not come from God. God says, you are pardoned. Your sins are gone. In fact, David will say later at verse 12, he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. East and west are not points on a map. They are opposing directions. The, the span is infinite. And can you thank God for that truth today, Twin Lakes Church? Can we be grateful for that? It's... It's, it's stunning when you start to think about it. And not only that, that's just the beginning because, because he then says, he's the God who heals all your diseases. And to that you want to say, wait, 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 time out, David. <laughs> I can just, just rattle off all sorts of people. He did not heal their diseases. Now, obviously, David knows this. He lives in the same world we do. So what is he getting at? How are we to understand this? I want to suggest two possibilities. Neither of them have to do with this idea that if you just have enough faith, God's going to heal you every single time like he's obligated to. Because that is just a bogus read of Scripture, and it is cruel to saints who have more faith in their little finger than I have in my whole body, and yet they died as a result of a disease. 
and it was for no lack of faith. So we can just push that one aside. But what David may be saying in this moment is that you know, he's looking back on his life when there were times he was sick, but his health was restored, and so he can simply say, Lord, you have healed all my diseases. It could be as simple as that. We could say the same thing. If you're enjoying great health today, you might look back at a time where you were ill, and you can now say, Lord, thank you. You healed all my diseases. I praise you for that. Or the second possibility is that David is, is taking a more expansive view of things, and it's not only those things in the past, but he's looking forward into that day when God will take him home and all his diseases, whether even he dies of some disease, it will be healed in that moment when he looks into the face of his God. And I think that there's some plausibility to this because of what David says in Psalm 16.10. He says this, you will not abandon me to the grave nor will you let your Holy One see decay. He really, I'm going to die someday. Something's going to, I'm going to die of something. God's not going to heal me, just, you know, ad infinitum. I will die, but you will not abandon me to the grave. And then he says something odd. Nor will you allow your Holy One to see decay. What in the world does that mean? Well, you have to fast forward a thousand years to the New Testament. To Acts chapter 2, Peter is giving his very first sermon. And in that sermon, he quotes Psalm 1610. And he says, get this. David was prophesying about the resurrection of the Messiah when he said that. He was talking about the day when Jesus Christ would be resurrected. And that, that, I mean, that makes your mind spin that that could even be a possibility. And yet... David says it a thousand years earlier. His Holy One will not see decay. Well, the only way for that to happen is you have to rise from the dead pretty quickly, I might add. And because of that, he has confidence. He's basically saying by the inspiration of the Spirit, if God is going to raise the Messiah, then he's not going to abandon me to the grave. My life is secure. I have hope. In other words, death and disease do not get the last word God does. And there is a day that, that we look forward to when there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more death because Christ is risen. We affirm that every Easter, don't we? Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And if we die in Christ, we will be raised in Christ. And David just continues this theme right into the next benefit. Verse 4, he says, praise God who redeems your life from the pit. Again, he's talking about the grave here. And if you have a sense of hope today, if you have confidence that, you know, when you die, that is not the end, but in fact, the beginning of a new and glorious existence, do you know how blessed you are to have that kind of hope, that kind of confidence? Because you know not everyone has that kind of hope and trust in Christ. As someone who's done more funerals than I can even remember, I can tell you that there are some people that I've done their funerals and there's no real assurance that they trusted the Lord in this way. Now, of course, I always want to 
allow for the Lord to do what he does in the heart of a, of a human being in ways we're not privy to, in his mysterious and loving ways. So I don't make any assumptions. But it's tough when, when you're handed information about someone and it's basically, well, you know, he really loved the 49ers. And she, boy, she sure loved her dog. Well, man, they, they really love nature. And yet there's nothing about love for the Lord, even, even, even interest in the Lord. That's where the rubber meets the road. It's not just in this life, but the hope that we have in the resurrection that has been assured by the risen Christ. And when you have that hope, you are blessed beyond measure. May we never take that for granted. And let me just add, if you've never placed your hope, your trust in Jesus Christ, why would you want to wait another day without doing that? Why would you want to wait another hour? He's the one who, out of his love and compassion, says, I will pardon all your sins. I will heal all your diseases, if not in this life, then in the next. I will redeem your life from the pit. And if that's not enough, he says he's the one who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. You know, the word loving kindness there is this word in Hebrew, chesed. Chesed appears a number of times in the psalm. It's throughout the Old Testament. It's, it's perhaps the biggest word in the Old Testament when it comes to God's love and, and his loyalty and his, his faithfulness. You can't really translate it with one word. It's just, it's too rich. I found a, a great description in a blog by a Messianic Jewish woman who says this. She said, Hesed acts out of unswerving loyalty, even to the most undeserving. Hesed is a bone-weary father who drives through the night to bail his drug addict son out of jail. Hesed is a mom who spends day after thankless day spoon-feeding and wiping up after her disabled child. Hesed is a wife whose long-suffering, tearful prayers keep her exhausted husband from falling apart at the seams. Hesed is love that can can be counted on decade after decade. Chesed is about the security of faithfulness and child of God. The Lord crowns you with his chesed. Can you praise God for that today, church? And again, it, it just keeps going because it's not just that, it's just his compassion. In verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He crowns us with these things, adorns us with these things. And I don't know what kind of actual crown David actually might have worn as king, you know, some sort of trinket that he had on his head. But I'm pretty sure when he's writing these words, he could, could not care less about some, you know, physical crown. It's probably off, you know, collecting dust somewhere. Because you know, God's love, his grace, his compassion, his love, those are the real treasures that we receive. I mean, even today, I, was, I found this picture of, of Queen Elizabeth. She's wearing 
uh, what's called the imperial state crown. This is the crown that she wore at her coronation. Uh, she wears it just on very few special occasions. And I, I mean no disrespect, but uh, look at her face. Uh, it, I, it, I don't know that it's bringing a whole lot of joy there. It just looks heavy. In fact, it, it's very heavy. She says she can't tip her head forward and it might snap off. The thing is so heavy. Puts her in a trance or something. I'm not sure. She's daydreaming about when she can take it off. I mean, how much more priceless is the loving kindness and compassion of God? That's the real crown. And, and after all, wouldn't you agree that the best things in life don't have to do with diamonds and jewels and precious metals? I mean, David had all that stuff and more, more than we can even imagine. And yet... I get the feeling when he talks about the God who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle, he's talking about simple pleasures. He's talking about times around a table. He's talking about friendships. He's talking about the surprise blessings that, that renew us and encourage us and lift us like an eagle. I'll close with this. Earlier this week, I watched a message that Chuck Swindoll recently gave at Dallas Theological Seminary. It was a chapel service for faculty and students. And you know, Charles Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll, turned 85 last month. 85, but watching this video, you'd never know it. I mean, still master communicator, warm, funny, uh, still laughed louder than anyone else in the room at his own jokes. I mean, it's like... Clearly, his body is getting older, but his soul, it seems almost ageless, youthful even. And you know what his secret is? It's what we talked about today, gratitude. Something that he said was impressed upon him as a young boy by, among others, his fourth grade teacher. Because on the day before Thanksgiving one year, she gathered together the whole class, and you could do this in a, in a schoolroom back then. Uh, she gathered them together, and they all held hands. And then she led them in a prayer of thanksgiving. She went around and thanked God for all the kids, for their little classroom, for how the school year had started. But he notices while she's praying, there are tears running down her cheeks. And it wasn't until he got home and told his parents about it that he learned that she had lost her husband just a few months earlier on a battlefield in Europe. It was during World War II. And yet it impressed upon his little heart. My teacher still found things to be grateful for. And then a number of years later, he would enroll at Dallas Theological Seminary, his first year as a student. He's there with his wife, Cynthia, living in a tiny, tiny little one-bedroom student housing apartment. Thanksgiving rolls around, and even though he grew up in Texas, he has family. He, they, they think, well, why don't we hold Thanksgiving here? Because there's a number of foreign students. At that time, they were all from Korea. This is shortly after the Korean War. And these students had no opportunity to go home during their time at seminary. In fact, they would be there for four years. Never once would they go home to see their families because it just wasn't financially feasible. It took every penny their, their families could scrape up to send them to the States to go to seminary. And so they, they, they invite 
these students, thinking a couple of them might show up, and turns out over a dozen of them do. And they pack in to this tiny, tiny little apartment. And the first thing that happens when they come through the door, they see the turkey, they see all the side dishes, and they are stunned. They are overwhelmed. One of them even blurts out, oh, if we could preserve this food, it would sustain a family in Korea for six months. Talk about a humbling moment. And so Chuck invites one of the students to give the Thanksgiving blessing, to pray, and to do it in his native language. And so the student kind of stands up straight, and his chest just kind of swells, and he starts to pray, and he prays, and he prays, and he prays. <laughs> Chuck opens an eye and sees that there's a film forming over the gravy as he prays, and he prays. And he said, Cynthia and I, we had no idea what he was saying, and it didn't understand a single word. But you know, you don't have to know the words to recognize gratitude. It radiated from this man's being. It, it streamed out in tears of joy, thinking about someone who came from a war-torn country where families were separated and lost. And yet he found ways to choose and reflect gratitude in that moment. And Chuck Swindoll said he learned a very important lesson that day, which is this. Joy doesn't make you grateful. Gratitude makes you joyful. See, we get this backwards all the time. Oh, when I'm happy, I'll be grateful. When I'm joyful, I'll be grateful. No, practice gratitude and you will experience joy. And so this week, don't, don't, please, don't wait till Thanksgiving Day, Thanksgiving Day to start counting your blessings. Start today, this week, maybe even pick up a little, a little notepad and, and jot down a couple things you're grateful for. And you don't even have to do it every day. Don't make a chore out of it. Make it fun, but make it specific. If you're thankful for your, for your spouse or for someone, why are you thankful? What do they do? What have they done? In other words, make gratitude a regular part of your life. Find ways to cultivate it and grow in it. And, and as you do, you will be blessed with joy and so much more. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace to us today. Lord, I keep thinking of that song that we sang at the beginning, uh, right before the sermon, I should say, that so beautifully summarized the whole arc of Scripture in just a matter of verses. And to think that we are a part of that story, that we have a place in your family Lord, we praise you for that today. We thank you, Lord. We, may we never become jaded or accustomed to the fact that you reached into our lives and you, you, you pardoned us and you, you healed us and you continue to heal us and one day you will fully heal us and that you will redeem our lives even from the grave because you have crowned us with your love with your compassion. And even now you satisfy us with sufficient good things, Lord, to keep us renewed.
to keep us hopeful, to keep us encouraged. And I'm mindful, Lord, there are people here today, uh, they, just, they, they just drag themselves in here today, Lord. There's a heavy burden, a difficult situation that they are experiencing right now, that they are suffering through, whether it's physical, emotional, relational, whatever it is. Lord, would you encourage that person today? Would you, would you bring at least one good thing to their attention? Maybe it's just the kindness of a friend, the empathy of a neighbor, whatever it may be. Give them joy in that moment. And for those, Lord, that may be with us here in this room or next door in venue or watching on Facebook, if there's anyone within the sound of my voice and you have yet to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, again, I invite you to do that today. I invite you to say yes to that still, small voice that is calling you, saying, man, I sent my son for you. He lived the life you could never live. He died your death on the cross, taking upon himself your sins, your cursedness, your diseases. And now he lives and reigns supreme, inviting you to be a part of his glorious kingdom. If that's your desire, you can simply say, Lord, count me in. I don't understand it all, but I want to be part of your family. I want to follow you, Jesus. Show me how to do that from this day forward. If you make that your prayer, he will be faithful. And your church will be here to help you and guide you in that process. Lord, again, we praise you. We bless you with all that is within us today. And we do this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. amen.